Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. And welcome to episode 96 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, Hitchhiking Boy Scout. And joining us tonight, you may know him as the director of Angel of Death and Hellbent, which we of course covered on this show. It's Mr. Paul Etheridge. Paul, hello. Hey, how are you guys? So happy to be here. Paul, thanks so much for doing this. It's really good to have you here. I told you guys that uh, you are my favorite podcast. I'm fairly new to the podcast world, but uh, I listen to you regularly and then go seek out the films that you discuss. You know, well, except for Godzilla. I didn't go do that one again. No, that's fair. Nobody, no, nobody needs that trauma twice in their life. No, I've got to yeah. be honest. You're missing very little. <laughs> Paul, before we start, I want to say that like, um, it's really cool to have you here, but also uh, the fact that you came across the show because we did a film of yours and totally took that in the spirit it was intended to the point that we're now doing this is really cool and we really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. I howled listening to that. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so funny to revisit, you know, my uh, uh, spur of the moment decision making and see how it played out with the um, with you guys making fun of it. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, like we, like Mitch said, I'm glad you took it in the the, the way it was yeah. intended because actually uh, we came up pretty pro on Hellbent, I would say. Yeah, I was gonna say we all liked it. Yeah. So, Paul, when you were left with uh, the matter of choosing a film for yourself, uh, you've gone back to 1988 with Ken Russell's Lair of the White Worm, mm-hmm. uh, which I had never heard of until you chose it, which is not uncommon, as you'll know. Uh, yeah. Why this one? Well, I was wanting to choose a film that had made an impact on me. Um, I haven't seen this since I was a teenager, which will excuse the film choice. Uh, But it was the first film that I rented on VHS where after seeing it, I immediately watched it again. Um, So I was so struck with it. And I also love Ken Russell. You know, he's a a weirdo. (laughs) Um, Altered States is one of my my favorites. Same here. Uh, So, uh, yeah, so I chose that one. um, And now that I've seen it, I'm like, oh, yeah, clearly the teenager in me loved this. (laughs) (laughs) as a british person watching this for the first time it's like i mean we'll get into it properly but it's a total curiosity to me but also i remember because like i said i knew nothing about this going in and i just decided to keep it that way after you picked it i just i didn't look up anything about it i just genuinely sat down at five o'clock this afternoon and just hit play so uh obviously like having watched loads of british comedy films and tv drama and tv comedy and stuff like it's like hugh grant and peter capaldi in this i was like okay what (laughs) yeah it's not a shoddy cast and not at uh, all yeah, I I think uh, Amanda Donahoe just just runs away with it. She is so game for all her ridiculousness. Oh yeah, like that, like I mean, again, we'll get to that too. But I, I would say total MVP contender there. Agreed. Yeah. Andy, uh, you presumably rewatched it for this. What is your history with Lady of the White Worm? My history with Lady of the White Worm it was a video. It was a video shop, not a video van rental. Mm-hmm. Okay. At the time I saw it, I thought it was the horniest film ever made. Oh yeah, it's pretty horny. Yeah, I, I, this was a film when I when I was young that I, I had a, a, a marvellous time with. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I think even then I realised that the tone of it was all over the place and yeah. I found it incredibly confusing. I guess at the time I didn't really pick up on a lot of the, the kind of religious stuff in it and all that. I, th- I found myself just, that, that just kind of washed over me. I just thought it was just weird stuff that was heaped on it for the sake of just being weird. But I remember having a great time with it and... Do you know, tonight, I'm, I think I'm the only person in this household who watched it tonight who had a great time with it. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> so what you're saying is that it went over less well with your wife and your infant son? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Nathan, I'll be honest, Nathan was, wasn't was really caring about it. Uh, Jackie was like, this film's terrible. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of that. But I had a great time with it. I, I was rewinding bits so I could laugh at it again. Uh, I had a smashing time tonight. I've I've not actually not laughed this much at a film that we've done in a long time. I had I, I kind of ran the gauntlet of reactions to it actually. Yeah, I'll, I'll address them as they arise. <laughs> um, 
Paul, uh, well, that's first off, Andy, do we have 30 seconds on the clock? Of course we do. That's a silly question. Of course. Paul, you'll know what's coming next. For the benefit yeah. of anyone who has not sought out Layer of the White Worm in advance of this episode, if I count you in, will you be willing to give us your best attempt at a 30-second synopsis? I, I will do my best. Okay. Three, <laughs> two, one, go. Uh, in the uh, British countryside in some indeterminate period, uh, modern day and not quite, Let's see, an archaeologist digs up a prehistoric snake skull, which sets off, uh, uh, it coincides with a snake lady, Lady Sylvia Marsh, a snake worshiper's arrival into town, and, uh, oh, fuck. Time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wow, okay, I sucked. No wonder. <laughs> I, th I think I think we got to about the twelve or fifteen minute mark. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, yeah, Oof. yeah, that's a lot harder than I expected. And yeah, a familiar face straight away on this one for uh, British viewers in particular, uh, Doctor Who himself, Peter Capaldi. Here is Angus Flint. Yeah. Uh, unearthing a skull while the Trent sisters, Mary and Eve, uh, look on. I found of the two of them, particularly Mary, to be borderline unwatchable right out of the gate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's, uh, she's, uh, uh, she's not the strongest. The, one thing that I was interested in in the introduction of the two heroes uh, who were women, two of the hero group, uh, and, and say that these, I, I think of this as sort of an adult Scooby-Doo adventure, we have sort of the sexless uh, group of men and women and then the very, very, you know, evil, sexy snake woman. Um, I was really struck with how uh, the director put them in the two women in very unsexy garb. Uh, Mary is uh, uh, the what we would call affectionately a baby dyke. Um, <laughs> looks like I mean, all the way through, all the way through. She looks like a baby dyke, you know, and maybe that plays into the whole hermaphroditic theme. I don't okay. know. Um, and then uh, Eve, who is the, the what we discover later is the reincarnated, you know, virgin nun. I mean, she's dressed like a Hobby Holly doll, you know, under all that gingham. And I mean, it's just completely formless, not at all arousing. But yeah, back to your point. Yeah, Mary's kind of cartoonish. I found myself <laughs> on IMDb trying to find out where she comes from and was blown away to find out that she's actually British because that is the most unconvincing British accent I've ever heard from a British person. Uh, what has she done? Because I recognize her too, you know, but I don't know from where. I, I didn't do any research on IMDb on this. I'm sorry. I... Um, but yeah, just a quick pop on IMDb here. She was in Lost, apparently. She was in Four Rooms, The Red Shoe Diaries. Oh, oh my. Was later in Ken Russell's The Rainbow and uh, also in a film called Chernobyl, The Final Warning. Which sounds ominous. Yeah. <laughs> That sounds like it'll probably be on your show at some point. Oh, I hope so. Yep. Uh, I'd imagine um, she puts on a better Russian accent. I mean, maybe. We get an exposition bomb here. Uh, it's kind of alluded to that uh, even Mary's parents are dead. Oh, um, yeah. Obviously, yeah. that the circumstances around that become a little bit more mysterious as we move on. But very quickly, again, this film does not fuck around. This, uh, So Angus uncovers <laughs> the skull. They kind of chide him for being excited about it and being quite dismissive of his excitement about finding this, despite the fact that it's gigantic and does not resemble the head of a normal animal. No, <laughs> you're right. They keep, you know, joshing him about it, saying, oh, is that a, is that our cow, Bessie, or whatever the name is, that was buried? I mean, it's got huge fangs. Clearly, it's not a cow. And then they're, oh, let's go to the party. Forget your skull. <laughs> exactly. Did you they tried to shoehorn in a jump scare with a hose? Yes. <laughs> Yes, three minutes into the film, you know, we're terrified by the white hose. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, as you say, I'm off to the party with like absolutely the minimum of fuss about this discovery. And yeah, sh sure enough, there's Hugh Grant. Yeah, by the way, uh, can, I, can I just quickly mention the band? The sweaty band? Yeah, the kind of Dexy's Midnight Runners meets the real Mackenzie's yeah. that are playing this very jaunty song about the Dampton Worm. I love this song. In fact, I'm going to put it at the end of this episode if I can find it. <laughs> it is a it's a pretty jolly scene. I was really struck though, but how the lead singer was so sweaty. Oh yeah, yeah, he's good. Oh yeah, it. yeah. I couldn't tell if that was a choice or whether they just like ran him into the ground, you know, <laughs> shooting him. Like he, he generally looks like someone has just thrown a bucket of water over him. Yeah, it, it looks like a sight gag. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> exactly, yeah. But yeah, he is, or they are, uh, kind of singing this kind of like rocked up folk song about the Dampton Worm, which is my favorite piece of exposition I've seen in almost any film ever, because it basically delves into the whole mythology of what you're about to watch. And it, I think it sets up nicely the whole idea of the that sort of the parthenogenesis that's uh, that we discover the worm is capable of doing. They cut the worm in half, and they think that that's defeated it. But you know, we discover later that the worm is able to regenerate itself or you know create another of its species without a pair. <laughs> um, not that that means anything to us yet, but no, no, not at all. Uh, this no. whole scene has a has the swipe of a school disco. Yeah. Pro- well, what about that layout with all the octopi and the worms and the you know green aspect? That was so <laughs> unappetizing. I'm assuming that that was just a joke, right? That's not a you know traditional sort of spread. Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, no. not, not to my yeah. experience. No, as 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 a, as a spokesperson for my people, I can say that I've uh, I've never come across that. <laughs> and pickled earthworms are not a thing. I don't believe I mean, so. No, no, no. Oh, but good. if they were, you know that way sometimes As- you go to a party and someone's just taking the piss at the banquet and they're taking too much stuff. Like Peter Capaldi yeah. is ramming an obscene amount of those earthworms into his mouth. Those are for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, the scene where we ha- the scene that we have here where we meet Hugh Grant's character, uh, James Dampton, a descendant of uh, John Dampton, who slayed the Dampton worm. Sure. I just just want to get all that in there right now, but I think that the exchange that the four of them have here is really funny, and I think I think Hugh Grant's really funny all the way through this. I think like I think that um uh, he's basically kind of ironically playing the exact character he would go on to play unironically in everything else he ever did. Exactly, it is it, it is foreshadowing of what his uh, professional life became for a while, you know, without the the humor. Yeah, because this yeah. is one of the first things he did. And I, I mean, I don't yeah. know much about Hugh Grant. I don't know how posh and plummy he actually is. But I mean, this is certainly the shtick that he has carried on for the last 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. He basically is to British rom coms what Jason Statham is to action, action movies. Just like a guy who plays to his strengths, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, by this point, I'm getting incredibly um, annoyed. Bye. Just hearing about Mary's dead parents. Oh, um, yeah. Well, actually, yeah, that, that kind of leads me on nicely to something that I thought was really funny because, like, um, obviously, we get a little bit of uh, James Hugh Grant's character going into the uh, the legend of the Dampton Worm, and you can see Angus kind of connecting the dots and wondering about this skull and whether the two things are connected. At this point, Mary and Angus head back, and as you say, Andy, they're in the middle of the forest or through the kind of walkway. Mary tells the tale of her folks' mysterious uh, disappearance slash death, and uh, Angus detects that the mood is right to go for a kiss. Yeah, he's a grief fucker. (laughs) But it's still pretty chaste, honestly. Uh, It seems like the script goes to some effort to establish these relationships as being pretty innocent. I mean, Hugh Grant and Eve are described as being just friends, platonic friends, even though, you know, they're dancing around and her virginity, of course, becomes important later. Mm-hmm. But even, you know, the whole smooch on the baby dyke in the, in the woods doesn't really go anywhere. Only because they're interrupted by that approaching car. Yes, of course. That's true. That's it. Otherwise, she'd be game. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> surely. Surely. Yeah. She'd be picking leaves out of her hair in no time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when they eventually get home uh, we encounter another character introduction Ernie yeah yeah PC Ernie did you notice by the way that she says why is the car driving around out here at this time of night without headlights on when it very clearly had headlights on yes I would wondered about that I mean it's they're definitely dimmed and green <laughs> but uh, yeah they're clearly on well they're definitely there yeah Ernie has uh, some interesting news to impart He's he's uh, he's he's shown up and been let in by one of the guests at the guest house. Yeah, Mercy which, House. At uh, Mercy House, yeah. But yeah, their their missing dad's pocket watch has been recovered um, at Stone Ridge Cavern. Dum dum uh, dum. dum, dum. <laughs> uh, reigniting a um, a search party, and I think that this is really strange because obviously this part is played pretty seriously, and then Ernie goes outside to call presumably like his partner. Um, at the police station and this really really kind of like keystone cops i mean this is this is is looney tunes fumbling police officers on the phone he's at the manor uh and he calls his buddy for backup because he thinks there's an intruder at the manor and uh you know the buddy a says that we've already established it's after midnight and the buddy is 
having his supper time and then doesn't have any transportation and his bicycle pump doesn't work. And it's just like one, you know, blockade after another of these guys, you know, clearly inept cops for this small town. It's uh, this is what I mean when I say that I think this is like Scooby Doo for adults. It's just, you know, goofy. everyone is hapless. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, that kind of hapless air that surrounds Ernie continues here when he stumbles through the woods and is stung by something that might either be a snake, a bee, or a nettle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the suspect list. Can I just drop in something really quickly before we move on? See the voice yeah. on the other end of the phone. It's Ken Russell. Is it really? Trivia Corner. Thank you, um, Mitch. Yeah, no, you're welcome. Uh, so, yeah, Ernie, um, attacked by an unknown assailant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, rescued from his plight by Lady Sylvia Marsh. Who appears to be dressed up like the ghost of a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she is, she's telegraphing her white worm outfit. Did you notice that she has some kind of brooch that looks like a snake skull? I know she has a, a ring, which I think is a, a snake and a cross, which she'll come to bear continually i thought that was eves i could yeah I think that's yeah, eves. yeah you might be right there, yes. the yeah that's our uh, paganism versus uh, christianity uh, aspect there but yes ghost of a pirate you're absolutely right she's all in white lurking around in the woods <laughs> we see we see the driver of the mysterious car then correct yes yes uh-huh because she's home unexpectedly. Yes, it's springtime remember i love the smash cut from this moment to interior mansion where she's got her entire mouth wrapped around the cop's ankle, sucking the poison out. And There are a few crazy edits like that. Yes, I love it. And she's so game for it. I mean, it's like, wrap your whole mouth around that, you know, that old plump ankle. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we get, the, we get the impression she's been away for a while and she's just come back yeah, with, the, with the return of spring. Out of hibernation, she says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She also, she kind of gets a little bit caught up on recent events in general from Ernie here, who uh, who shares an awful lot of information in this very short exchange. Right? <laughs> people are so forthcoming in this in this little town. It's like there are a number of scenes where people just sit down and spill it. Mm-hmm. This is just incredibly loose-lipped as a general populace, I think. Yes. I just want to quickly talk about Amanda Donahoe here. I know we've already said that she's kind of low-key, the MVP of the film. But I just love that every line she has, she chews up so much. Like every line is like this kind of jokey, winky innuendo, and she's obviously loving it. Yeah, I I feel like as a character, she knows she's the smartest person in the room and loves how clueless everybody else is. So she just drops all this innuendo, especially with Kevin. I love that. <laughs> Oh, God, yeah, it's so good. That's like my favorite part of the whole film, yeah, I think. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. But uh, in possession of all this new information, uh, she heads down to Mercy House the next day with a view to uh, stealing the skull. Yep, dressed um, up very grey gardens. Yes. yes. With her, her snake-eye green glasses. <laughs> I mean, her costume choices are so on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> just, she's not at all telegraphing her uh, her affiliations. I guess I guess we don't have to telegraph it for too much longer because we get a pretty convincing flash of it here because she uh, she retrieves the skull with unbelievable ease because it's sitting and, on a desk. Yep. Yeah. And she just walks in through an unlocked door and helps herself. She takes it, but also sprouts fangs and sprays venom on a crucifix ornament on the wall. Which I couldn't find the word crucifix ornament when I was writing notes. I couldn't figure out what I was reaching for, so I've written wall mounted Jesus. <laughs> It's such a weird <laughs> moment, though, because like there's no preamble to it, there's no lead-up, there's no transformation. It's so kind of apropos and nothing. It's just yes. one minute she's just a normal woman, and then in the next shot she has fangs and is projectile spraying venom out of her mouth. <laughs> I think a lot, of the, a lot of the reason that this film works, and I'm just going to vaguely spoiler my own take on this and that fact that I really like this film, but I think that a lot of the reason that some of the kind of darker or stranger stuff works in this film is that it kind of like it often comes in with like no preamble for instance like very soon after this like even james come back they find the note about the watch so they know that the search is back on for uh even mary's father then eve goes upstairs and touches the crucifix and 
this film just for about eight seconds goes absolutely batshit insane and i think that it's the abruptness of these kinds of things that really works because it just like these moments clatter into an otherwise normal film at 100 miles an hour by the way i don't want to lower the tone but um hugh grant's first line of dialogue in the next scene like when they come back to the house is uh i love mr flint's hole Paul, I'm going to task you with this. So I just said yeah. there when um, when Eve uh, touches the the crucifix, like I said, yeah. like the film the film shifts gears very briefly but very dramatically. It's very hard to get across in words exactly the extent to which this happens. Can you try? Yeah. Yes, it, I mean for me it, it feels like a uh, a Ken Russell uh, favorite moment. You know, it's a it's a hallucination where nuns are kneeling before a live uh, crucified Jesus and the sky is burning and then all of a sudden they're besieged by Roman rapists and uh, you know and uh, uh, the snake a white snake coils around Jesus and uh, it just goes to hell the whole thing becomes chaos uh, and Amanda, Amanda Donahoe is in her whole whole snake gear you know overseeing the whole thing kissing and you know, fondling herself. It's pretty excellent. <laughs> and then back in the real world, Eve trips over a Hoover hose. Yes. I, no no sting, though, right, on that one? We aren't supposed to be terrified of the Hoover? Uh, no. <laughs> Perhaps we are, and yeah. it just doesn't land. No, this is, this, is, this is one of the few household appliances we're not supposed to fear. <laughs> <laughs> they really couldn't upstage the uh, hallucination with a vacuum. No, I, guess, no. I guess not. No, no, no your limitations. Uh, she also utters Dionin for the first time, I think, in the film. Yes. Most British moment in the film, uh, James rushes to her aid here and she's kind of hysterical, but he decides that what she really needs is a nice calming cup of tea. That's right. <laughs> but when they settle down for this cup of tea, uh, she takes. Th- she's trying to recall what's going on and she produces the uh, the the pocket watch from uh from her pocket <laughs> sensible place to keep it and puts it on the table there's like a very is it like a very small snake inside yes it's that the watch hands have turned into i am assuming that this is just her pov of it it's not yes. Hugh grant's not looking at it too right? yeah uh the watch hands look like a a severed serpent um which then triggers her memory of being set upon by you know, all those dirty pagans. <laughs> <laughs> As a response to this, James immediately takes her outside and shows her the uh, the mosaic of the snake called around the crucifix that has uh, revealed itself in the excavation pit. It seems quite triggering to do that yeah. to someone in her state. You're absolutely right. Someone who has uh, been seized by that that sort of image and dragging her out and showing her the the snake wrapped around the crucifix. Yeah, you are absolutely right. He's He wasn't really thinking about her well-being in that moment. <laughs> I, I think that you could have left that half an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah let her get through that cup of tea. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it does. It kind of it 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 reverses the uh, the goodwill done by, the, or the calming properties of the cup of tea. At this point, uh, now I think that we all kind of touched on the fact that this is one of all of our favorite sequences in here. Uh, Lady yeah. Sylvia picks up a stranger at the roadside. Poor oblivious Kevin. His pals call him Kev. He's a he's a young boy scout hitchhiking his way to a hostel in the rain. He's quite happy, of course, to take this this lift from Lady Marsh, uh, who is sitting with her dress hiked up and making jokes about banging. Yes, yes. Are you into any sort of banging? She asks, <laughs> and he says, "I'm not bad at the the mouth organ." Completely yeah. straight face. <laughs> Absolutely magnificent. Poor Kevin. I've got to say, the sexiest attire I've ever seen for a game of Snakes and Ladders. Paul, you were talking about a smash cut earlier. See, when it goes from them in the car to them playing Snakes and Ladders by the fireside, he's wearing a dressing gown that looks like it's four inches thick. I would wear the fuck out of that dressing gown. (laughs) And and, yeah, and and, and she's like incredibly sexy black lingerie. I don't know, I was just like, wait a minute, what? She has black PVC boots on that go up to round about her vaginal lips yeah just just about thighs yeah the tiniest little modesty covering you know of of her 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 pubic area and he's in this oven mitt (laughs) so (laughs) uh, and at this point i think that she's i think that she's obviously she's obviously trying to dial things up a little bit because obviously um her seduction technique has been pretty subtle up to this point um (laughs) 
so uh, not taking a, a hint at all. He's still he's like you remind me of my mom. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, as if I was a young man in his position, I would not be able to. I wouldn't believe my luck. I would have. Yeah. I'd have been useless. I'd have already blasted off inside that big robe. <laughs> but what I certainly wouldn't do is uh, bust out the harmonica and expect to receive ah. a sexy harmonica dance. Yes. I love this moment. He pulls out a harmonica to, I guess, entertain them. I don't know what. Uh, maybe it's just out of nerves. And the music hypnotizes her. And she, uh, she does a snake dance for him. Until she can get the harmonica out of his hands. <laughs> Stop it, Kevin. That kind of music freaks me out. <laughs> I think that that line is really weird. Relative to like the way that she talks to the rest of the film and stuff like that, it seems really unnatural when she says, that freaks me out. Because of the colloquialism to it? Yeah, I, mean, I think so. Yeah, I think uh, it's because, yeah, like a lot of, like she's very formal for the most part. And I think that, that like it feels really strange to me. Well, she's, you know, eons old for her to have that kind of, uh, you know, street talk yeah know, uh, uh-huh. the scene so obviously she it's now time to uh it's now time to bathe kevin this is just about the weirdest fucking thing i've ever seen <laughs> <laughs> see when she's like loofing his chest <laughs> yes that's really so gross. kevin's in this huge bath of bubble bath and and i don't know what kind of bathroom that is you know, it's got this grand, you know, staircase entrance down to the tub. Yeah. The skull kind of lords over them on a pedestal. It's like something in a Conan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The set design is over the top. <laughs> That's a way of putting it. Yeah, but like, the, yeah, like you say, Andy, the way that she's kind of like loofying him, and he's kind of looking at, and at that point, I think he looks just incredibly sheepish and nervous, and just kind of splayed along the edge of the bath. But yeah, if uh, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Kevin, not long for this world. Yeah, you're going to go into detail, Mitch, on what happens to him here. Anybody else want to take this one? <laughs> yeah, she bites him on the cock. Yep. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, nightmare scenario. She explains that he has died so that God may live again. This is fucking hilarious. See, when she disappears and comes back with the skull and starts chanting the incantation and is interrupted by the doorbell. <laughs> yes, he's got her monologuing going, and then it's like, ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Literally the line. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't tell. Sometimes I laughed at things in this film, and I wasn't 100% certain they were played for laughs. But when something like that that's so obviously a comedic moment lands like that, it makes me wonder about, like, because I think this film tonally is really, really strange. Honestly, it feels like Ken Russell just called up some, you know, young actors and said, hey, come out to the country for five days. You know, let's make a Snake Charmer movie and have fun and, you know, drop shrooms or something. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, the filmmaking itself is pretty basic. I mean, a lot of the scenes are played in oneers. Yeah. Just kind of like, OK, so hit your marks and say all of your dialogue. We get through eight pages and then let's go have a drink. <laughs> yeah. So after uh, just after just kind of uh, very casually forcing Kevin's head under the water and leaving him to drown, uh, <laughs> she goes to answer the door and it's uh, none other than James Dampton. He's uh, caught a glimpse of Ernie's ankle and he's come in a very neighborly manner to uh, rectify the snake problem. <laughs> yes. Kill the snake. This is a weird scene as well. It's a little I, I get confused about her motivations in this because it's clearly a seduction in part. I mean, she's meeting her arch enemy or the, you know, the distant offspring of her arch enemy. Yeah. Slayer of the Danton worm. Um, and she's clearly being sexy with him. But then she has her, her crying fit. I do love the line when she invites Hugh in and he sees the snakes and ladders board. And he says, do you have children? And she says, only when there are no men around. <laughs> <laughs> she also says, uh, my passion is snakes and ladders, which is a very strange line. It is like... Isn't that supposed to be a pretty moronic game? I mean, it's like you play with three-year-olds and four-year-olds. It's like Correct. super easy. Yeah, it's like, it, it almost literally couldn't be simpler. Then she has this kind of fake breakdown where she starts crying and needs comfort. I didn't quite get that. but uh, Yeah, she talks a bit about how she actually hates snakes. Mm. And she's terrified of the kind of myth of the Dampton worm. But she's also madly kind of drawn to it and obsessed by it. And then she comes away with a line, something to the effect of, I'm afraid I'm schizophrenic. Mm, yeah. And then she she's standing in front of the fireplace during all this, and she gazes into the flames and says, Rosebud. 
Yeah, I, I have it down that she says she's schizophrenic, burns her snakes and ladders board and quotes Citizen Kane. <laughs> and we're left like, well, okay. <laughs> but then they start fucking kissing, which is completely yes. bewildering. That's the one of the craziest meat cutes I've ever seen in a film. Possibly the first time that encounters everyone called that. They <laughs> uh, kiss, James heads home and arranges to meet Eve the following day. Just uh, I was going to say hoes in different area codes, but they're on the same property line, I think, so I guess not. <laughs> he has a really weird dream at this point. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. That's uh, putting it mildly. Really weird dream. <laughs> <laughs> Go on then, Mitch. <laughs> what me? <laughs> so he imagines that he's on board a private jet. Uh-huh. The crew are like his love interests, and what I assume to be Mr. and Mrs. Trent are also there, Correct. paralyzed and tied to a chair. Yes. Yep. At this point, I think that the two I was trying to furiously write all this down as it was happening. He is tied up, and the two, uh, his two love interests, if you like, Eve and Sylvia, start fighting, and uh, he engages in very obvious phallic symbolism. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Did you notice their sexy airline issue gray suspenders? Yep. Did spot that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I noticed that the two are two Scooby Doo ladies who are flight attendants. One of them is is purely about uh, safety, you know, uh, airline safety, and the other one is about comfort. And then our snake lady is pouring out these toxic drinks. So we immediately have, you know, the rogue stewardess. Um, so once again, we're seeing sort of the the battle between this sexually uh, permissive woman, the pagan snake goddess, and our two goody good, you know, Holly Hobby, Baby Dyke. Scooby-Doo ladies. Anyway, I mean, I'm just trying to make some sort of sense in my head as to what this dream's about. I, I think you're right in everything you've said there. I just think it's illustrated in such a fucking bizarre way. Isn't it? It's, yeah. It's crazy. It's an incredibly surreal and very circuitous way to make a very simple point, but I'm very glad it's yeah. there. Yes. The, uh, the, the airline setting, the plane setting is what I find most perplexing. <laughs> like why are on this plane <laughs> perhaps it's because it's long and white it's the belly of the I, worm yes I, I was thinking that or potentially another larger scale um example of phallic symbolism as well yeah this uh this this dream is rudely interrupted by his butler peters serving him breakfast the most clattering <laughs> offensively delivered breakfast i've ever heard <laughs> At this point, he, I mean, he's, he's, he's not much for breakfast, but he takes a look at the uh, newspaper article about the search being called off once again for uh, Mr. and Mrs. Trent and identifies that the, uh, the cave in the background, uh, Stone Ridge Cavern, uh, looks a lot like the cave in the painting on the wall of uh, his ancestor slaying the worm. And uh, I actually think it's really strange that he doesn't know this about his family history, but Peters the butler does. Because he's like, oh, I'm, uh, doesn't this seem weird to you? And Peters is basically like, well, no, you fucking idiot. This is the cave where the worm lived. It seems strange that, I mean, he participated in this ritual dance at the very beginning, the party. And for him to have no clue of the history of his family in this whole town. You know, lots of people are kind of cluing him in, you know, as to Temple House later on, you know. But, uh, yeah, he seems oblivious to what he's actually been born into. So maybe that's, you know, part of his arc. I don't know. <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. yeah. <laughs> See the performance uh, of the guy that plays Peters? It's really weird. Yes. Like, he, he's playing it like, um, like he's kind of like this Igor character in a Universal film or something. Like, it's a mm-hmm. really weird characterization. Yeah. The first time we see him is at the party, and he's uh, surreptitiously drinking the alcohol and then hiding it under his waistcoat. And, uh, you know, later he's lasciviously, you know, talking about his duties, including locking up the chambermaids, which, oh, it actually occurs to me. Hugh Grant talks about the chambermaids all getting pregnant. I wonder if he's supposed to be the, you know, the father of all that. Oh, Oh, maybe. Uh, Yeah. Peels doesn't strike me as the Lothario type. Always the one, as you least expect. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, you're small town, you're locked up, you know. Yeah, options are limited. Any port yeah. storm. After this, we're back on the grind. Uh, the search has been called off, but that's not going to deter uh, James, Angus, even Mary. They're uh, back out and on the hunt. And uh, inside the cavern, no less. Eve and Mary really don't want to be here at all, do they? Well, if this is the place where your parents are presumed to have died, then I can kind of understand why you wouldn't want to be there lest you stumble across a skeleton or something worse. I can understand their discomfort, but this whole scene, see, there's a whole discussion here between Angus and James about worms excrement and 
uh, it's interminable. It, it is a long scene, and it seems like the the ladies, their contribution is mainly complaining. <laughs> yep. Um, but they're there. And then is this the scene where where Hugh kind of yeah he he kind of lays it out that he thinks it's possible that there's a prehistoric creature living in the cavern somewhere or trapped in there. Yeah. And it seems like a huge jump to me. Of course. I'm assuming that you know, this, this is what boredom in a small town will do to you. <laughs> <laughs> the two female characters here really just seem to be there again to dispense tea. Yeah. And sandwiches. Yeah, and sandwiches, yep, yep, yeah. yep. This might be a good point to stop things for a minute, Mitch. I think you might know what's coming here. Paul, you said you're a regular listener. You might also know what's coming here. Um, now, I struggled a little bit with this because whether it's a worm, whether it's a, a snake, it's kind of blurry given that the film is titled Lair of the White Worm, but it's clearly a snake. Yes. But I made an executive decision here and I decided to go with dun, 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 worm facts. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm very happy right now. Okay. Let's kick it off. There's over 6,000 types of worm. Wow. Uh, the mm. worms uh, will become paralyzed if they're exposed to light for too long. Really? Yeah, well, yeah. So my research would lead me to believe, Paul. I say research, <laughs> I looked at one website. That's um, fine. Yes. Yep. Worms have no lungs and they breathe through their skin. That's cool. Huh. Is it, Mitch? Would you Would you like to do that? Well, I, I, that's an interesting fact. I wouldn't like to do it. Sure, sure. <laughs> Worms have five hearts, which seems excessive. Oh, I think I do remember that. I used to dissect them when I was a kid. Oh. Yeah. I mean, they're not very interesting once you get in there, but five hearts. Cool. <laughs> Worms can <laughs> okay. live up to eight years. I don't know what I would have estimated. that. All, like, I don't know if that feels long or short. Well, Mitch, the question of long and short, let me bring this next fact to you here. <laughs> Very good. The Great Gippsland Earthworm is yep. the largest worm in the world, and it can grow to three meters long. Oh, damn. Fucking hell. How wide is it? I'd imagine it's quite gross and quite unsettling. Uh, I'd imagine it's grotesquely thick, like a, like a draft excluder. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But uh, that, uh, with that, it brings to uh, a close my uh, worm facts. Dun, dun, dun. Um, I like the fact that you had them in ascending order of shock value. <laughs> <laughs> Just to cycle back, James wants to uh, delve further into uh, the cave here with uh, with Angus. Mary is seems to be kind of like moderately up for it. Eve realizes that um, this tea isn't going to put itself back at Mercy House, so uh, she heads <laughs> back. And uh, she's but she's approached in transit by uh, Sylvia, who, in kind of like one of her less clever lampoons, pretends to be stuck in a tree. Yes. In in the sexiest, most skin tight, you know, reptile wear uh, that she could put on, she's up there reclining in a tree, having chased a kitten up there. Yes, allegedly. Yeah, yeah. I would say, where's the kitten? Yeah, Eve Eve is Eve, Eve takes her at her word. Yeah, she she's trusting to a fall, and look what happens to her. She's hypnotized in the manner yeah. that Mowgli is in the Jungle Book. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's actually, that's a great comparator point. Actually, that's exactly what it's like. So she takes she takes Eve away. She takes Eve back up to uh, kind of her uh, manor. Alludes to a lover from centuries prior, and also the Eve's religion tried to build a convent on the site of the Snake People Temple. Mitch, are you going to mm-hmm. let this pass without mentioning the fact that this whole exchange takes place with Amanda Donahoe lying in a sunbed? Well, you know what, Andy, I thought you might catch that one. <laughs> yes, it's one of our cuts too. Suddenly, there's a sunbed in the middle of a, a dark hall and it's like what the fuck is this and then <laughs> she slithers out you know and she's got her hypnotized eve there commands her to undress pulls apart christianity talks about masturbating nuns and impotent gods and all of that there's no subtlety here at all uh this is a total blunt force message yes yeah 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 paul like you're saying i mean this is this is one of these crazy cuts that we're talking about and i think that it actually in terms of it being like just completely jarring and momentarily completely disorientating i think it might be the best one it's good it's like what the fuck is this it's also was for me kind of a shock because i've always i mean this this is such an indeterminate time period i felt like it was a period piece and then all of a sudden we have this sunbed you know, which feels super modern. Yeah. Uh-huh. Got, I mean, doesn't it feel like it's from, you know, the late 60s or 70s? And then there are these weird technological 
I think the the phones, there's just like a sat phone or something like that that Hugh Grant uses at one point. Uh, no, but you're right. I mean, there, there are, there's a few instances of that, though. I read the sunbed as some kind of weird, snaky heat lamp, like you would get in a vivarium. Yeah, I think that's what we're supposed to think. Jesus, I am, I am so bad at this. <laughs> I mean, I think that what we're the reason we the reason she's in it. I mean, the really the only explanation I can think of is that you know she's charging herself like on a hot rock. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I like that. Over the measure of this extremely weird conversation, which uh, also yeah, she's like yeah, she's completely naked and she orders Eve to uh, take her clothes off. Also, uh, while this is going on, we also find out that Dionne the Snake God is partial to a wee virgin sacrifice. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm. Uh, as as are most gods. Yeah, yes. this is very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's one of the few things that they can all agree on. <laughs> and uh at this point we discover or it's kind of confirmed to us that Eve fits the bill. And how is it how is it confirmed, Mitch? Somebody yeah. else take this one. I'm not doing this. Like just like just because I'm the most uptight one at the table doesn't mean you can do this every time. <laughs> you want to take a stab at it or shall I? Uh, well, well take a stab at it. It's uh, an interesting turn of phrase. In the middle of uh, uh this uh this evisceration of Christianity, Amanda Donahoe pulls out this gigantic ivory scrimshaw dildo with <laughs> the sharpest point. <laughs> it's like a meter. Oh, yep, yep. And yep. probes uh, poor Eve with it and uh, I think determines that Paul, I she's think still it's a as uh, thick as a great Gippsland earthworm as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's not one for casual use. I <laughs> know, you need to work up to that one for sure. No, it's, it's, it's not for novices, certainly. No, but it seems <laughs> that she only uses the tip, um, certainly in this instance, only uses the tip to presumably explore whether or not there is a, a hymen in place. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's what she would later describe to the authorities as being for research. <laughs> Although I'm, I'm really amazed that there is still a hymen in place after that tip. I mean, that's it's just dangerous. I mean, yeah. yeah. That's like pushing yeah. a pen yeah. into a balloon. Either that or she's just got the steady hand of a surgeon. Maybe after these uh, this millennia of... Uh, you know, practice, yeah. I'm sorry, I refuse to believe that anyone, Mitch, has the steady hand of a surgeon when wielding an implement of that size. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna, I couldn't tell you from across the room if a girl was a virgin if my only thing I had in my hands was, say, a snooker cue. <laughs> oh, for Christ's sake. Um, so... At this point, Sylvia has Eve call and lie to the others about um, her taking off to London for a few days or a little bit of R&R. Mary yeah. just so happens to know someone who works at the train station and can verify this information. She calls Roy at the train station and he keeps trying to pick her up over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's she's desperately looking for her sister who's on the tracks to London. And, you know, Roy's like, well, hey, let's get together for a drink. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. on the other side of the telephone call though eve somehow finds the wherewithal to scream dionan into the phone and she is uh spat out with the venomous spit she uh looks at her ring finger which has the crucifix on it and it breaks the spell and uh yeah and then she's able to you know give the the clue, Dionan, and then sends her into another hallucination, which uh, is a little, it's uh, Amanda Donahoe in her snake form, licking bloody dildos while a snake skull flies around impaled nuns. (laughs) You know, this is the whole reason Ken Russell made this movie, (laughs) so we could have these hallucinations. Yeah. Yeah. So Mary, understandably, thinks that her sister delivering all this in a monotone and then screaming Dionin at the end of the call is uh, not standard Eve phone chat yep, and smells yeah. a rat. The pieces are falling into place now with alarming speed. Uh, James connects the dots here with uh, unbelievable accuracy and speed. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah, he, he it's like we're fast tracking to the end now. Let's just get all of the uh, the info out there so we can get to the cavern. Absolutely. This 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 feels like a kind of like scene missing thing, doesn't it? Just in the measure of like a like a like a two minute conversation at the table after they come off the phone, he has uh, concluded that this is all a conflict between Christianity and an early pagan cult. Mm-hmm. and immediately also ties in all the symbolism up to and including snakes and ladders. Yep. He also figures out how he's going to kind of tackle this, and then it cuts to him in his golden waistcoat rifling through his father's African record collection for snake charming <laughs> music. Yes. <laughs> also, he's had Peters out there climbing about on the fucking rooftops 
like up there in the what do you call them the parapets like setting up yep. speakers and lights to draw lady marsh into their trap i you know i don't know how he has not witnessed amanda donahoe's a uh, lady uh, sylvia's uh, reaction to music so this is just a a spit in the dark, honestly, for Absolutely. him. But for him to go to all this trouble just to play snake charmer music on a loudspeaker. But hey, it works. Yeah. <laughs> it works yeah, in an incredibly on-the-nose way because she emerges snake-like yeah. from a gigantic wicker basket. I think it's <laughs> and the dance she she uh, she performs to get out of the, uh, the manor house. <laughs> it's a little bit embarrassing. Yeah, but... Her absence then leaves the uh, the opening for our other characters to uh, get into the the house and explore. Uh, yeah, our intrepid explorers, uh, Eve and Angus. No, sorry, Mary and Angus. Angus. Or is it Eve and Angus? Mary, Mary Angus. and Angus. Yeah. Eve is uh, poisoned at this point. We don't oh, know where she is. Christ, of course she is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah we get um, some information here about mongoose, mongooses, yes. and uh, how they are the traditional enemy of the snake. Yep. Foreshadowing, folks. Yep, check off mongoose. <laughs> <laughs> over the course of the rummagings inside uh sylvia's mansion they do find mrs trent this is like one of the one of the less kind of like emotionally stunning family reunions that i've seen in a film i love it it's so david lynch to me the mother sitting slack-jawed in a chair watching essentially softcore porn of a woman fellatiating a snake <laughs> it just so weird <laughs> it's just playing on the on the television i love it i love it uh, but also yeah like like the emotional reunion is hampered or undermined somewhat by uh mrs trent senior abruptly spurting fangs and biting her yeah yep yep uh, we get another snaky vision here which is cut short by another cut to someone sucking a wound right enough yeah yeah of course and um angus calls james to warn that she's on her way Mm-hmm. Uh, so the plan is working and you know those things where um, you sit down and you write a sentence that you just thought if you gave me 8,000 guesses I would never have expected that this was a sentence I would write today Sure. so, uh, so James is attacked by uh, Mrs. Trent at this point mm-hmm. and I have written down Hugh Grant performs a 360 degree pirouette with a long sword slices a possessed, slices a possessed snake woman in half and clatters into a drum kit <laughs> yes I have drum kit down here too with many question marks. Falls over drum kit. Yes. <laughs> it makes Hugh Grant's character seem cooler than he is to me. I disagree because he very quickly overbalances himself in the enormous swing that he takes with that sword, and he winds up coming across quite goofy and clumsy at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that giving him a horizontal slice on a bad guy, I think it maybe does ascribe a little bit of action heroness to the character that is not earned. But you're right, Andy. It does immediately kind of like it does. It throws that immediately to the wind after that. Um, however, pro out for Peters. Peters, we hardly knew ye. Um, I really like the way that when Hugh Grant is on the phone and he clocks on to the fact that a threat is nearby. I, like, I also think that it's like it's quite funny when all he says is, I think we have another reptile loose on the premises. <laughs> yes. Again, like this kind of feels like something that we're very much in the middle of at this point but we cut then to the next day yeah where Ern- ernie's picking yeah. mary up to come and identify the body yeah it seems like everything just kind of settled down and nobody was particularly perturbed by it. a bisected snake lady still writhing around on the floor business as usual yeah it's uh, it's yeah it's expected unexpected at this point i think ernie's not as he appears <laughs> uh, Mary realizes this when we get to uh, when we get to the manor and she spots the plaster on his wrist. That's right. Yep. Yes. We're shifting gears again here. I think, or not? Like we're kind of we're kind of pulling towards the kind of grand finale of the piece here. I think so. Ernie sprouts fangs. A chase ensues, and again, in terms of just things that I could not have possibly guessed, um, <laughs> the tension is disrupted and the chase is disrupted by Angus turning up, not only playing bagpipes but also wearing a kilt. The full, the full work. The, he's got the works on. He's got the full kilt. He's got an enormous dangling sporran, and, <laughs> and apparently uh, bagpipes work just as well as uh, harmonicas or old records do. And he manages to entrance Ernie. This is one of the more batshit sequences, I think, that isn't a hallucination because he's he dances with 
Ernie, this, is, this had to be the selling point for this actor. It's like, you will become a snake person and do this weaving dance with the bagpiper <laughs> all around the grounds of a manor. I'll be honest with you, Paul, I feel an incredible sense of national pride at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, as you I, should. I just looked at it being like, oh, we do all do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he runs out of breath at this point. A, a very, very brief struggle ensues, and then Ernie is uh, impaled on something. It's a snake shaped sundial knocks his eye out. Yeah, yeah. well, way to go. Yep. Uh, Angus heads inside. He's struck down and bitten and dragged away unconscious. After the by... return of Chekhov's mongoose. After the return yeah. of Chekhov's mongoose, yes. Yeah. Somehow he's got a mongoose under his his kilt. That that's that sporting is like a Lara Croft's backpack in Tomb Raider. It's like Mary Poppins' handbag. Yeah. At this point, we are gathering in the kind of underground of this place. We're well, back. We're yeah. I guess we're back in the cavern. Yeah. Sylvia pounces on Angus here, and we see her. She's in her full blue snake makeup. Um, but I think she looks really cool here, by the way. Yeah. Big love to her for uh, the hairy armpits, which I noticed. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. There's actually a point later where, um, and I think uh, it's a coincidence, but like there's a point where she lifts something above her head. I think it's probably the skull. Yeah. And it's at that point that the fact that she has uh, hairy armpits is kind of like, but the music is like a dramatic sting, like it's a reveal. <laughs> <laughs> I will go review that sequence. <laughs> By the way, uh, worth mentioning, she's been wearing earplugs this whole time to protect herself from the bagpipes, which. I'm going to potentially quote some controversy here. I can kind of relate to because I think I've mentioned to you before, Mitch, I find the music of the bagpipes repellent. Uh, yes, yeah. I find it very abrasive also. I think So I don't know if that makes us both very bad Scottish people, but I do agree with you. I live in the canyons in uh, Los Angeles, and uh, there's a bagpiper who goes up into one of the canyons to play uh, in the early mornings, and uh, the, the coyotes start howling. Yeah, seems right, seems uh, fair. Yeah. I agree. So quite a tableau going on down here. <laughs> in the cavern. So Eve's chained up uh, in her underwear. What the uh, fuck the, is the James others... doing? He's got poison gas that he's going to, he and his massive crew are going to inject into some sort of fissure. Again, it feels like, uh, you know, we we didn't have the budget that we thought we would have. So let's just shorthand a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like there's about 40 pages of this that they didn't shoot. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, Eve is approached here by uh, Sylvia. Uh, again, that very menacing strap on has reappeared. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, this time it is a strap on. It was just a it was just a regular old a dildo you had to hold in two hands but now it's yeah it was, it, it was just a plain old standard issue very large dildo before but now it's uh, right. attached to her crotch which must be putting strain on the back <laughs> yeah wow the visual yeah, actually the, the first time you see that big strap on the visual is quite striking mm-hmm. that's a way of putting it well that's the hermaphrodite uh theme like popping up again mm-hmm. yep uh, mm-hmm. did, did you guys notice that eve is in the, the unsexiest granny panties hanging above the wormhole yeah i mean it's clear that she's a virgin because she's not at all thinking about her presentation i mean i'll be honest with you if i was going spelunking which is kind of what they're intending on doing before she decides that tea is more essential yes i, I probably wouldn't wear my sexiest pants yeah you're right you're right that's fair. But I'm also going to go out on a limb <laughs> and say I don't imagine Eve to have that many sexy pants. No. Okay, now we're just making assumptions. So yeah, we, we get our like we get our first proper look at the giant worm itself at this point. Yes. And it's amazing. <laughs> it's being gassed up the, the tunnel. It's, I remember at the time when I saw this thinking it was on par with some of the best uh, practical creature effects of the time. Now looking back on it, it's a, it's a little you know it's a little mangy, but I still like it. Yeah, I I, I think that like I what I would say is that I think that I think that it fits the tone of everything else. The look of it. Yes, agreed. Agreed. Yeah, like I I think that like I like regardless of whether I think it's a particularly good practical effect, I think that it's quite well matched to everything else. Yeah, and that doesn't sound like a compliment, but I kind of mean it like one. So eventually, Angus manages to turn the tide here by slicing Sylvia's hand off at the wrist. That's that's feeding hard to the worm rather than Eve, and he he kind of like uh, shoes everyone away. But <laughs> at this point, and uh, I mean, I genuinely like, I I I guffawed out loud when this happened. 
when Angus stares over the pit where the worm is, reaches into his sporran and produces a grenade. Sure. Yes. <laughs> uh, takes the pin out with his teeth like Rambo and throws it down the and throws it down the pit and blows the worm up. Yep, um, <laughs> it lands in Dionan's mouth, and uh, yeah, we get a nice big volcanic eruption of prehistoric snake Brilliant. bits. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yes, and I suppose all's right with the world, or so it would appear. They uh, all go off to the police station or the hospital or whatever, and it's at that point we discover that the anti-venom that Angus has injected himself with, I don't remember where he gets that anti-venom. I'm going to surprise you here, Paul. Um, It's not in there. (laughs) There's no scene where he gets it. It's just there. Okay, that would make a sense. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I don't remember where he gets it. Yeah, he he gets a call from the the lab, and the anti-venom he has injected himself with actually uh, is some other sort of medication so a screw up has <laughs> left him vulnerable to the serpent's bite. It's for and arthritis. Then, the stuff that he's, yeah. that he's been injecting <laughs> into everybody is just this arthritis drug. I laughed my fucking ass off at this bit. Same as like, so every, everyone is no less reptilian than they were before, but everyone's very nimble because their joints are great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, at this point, we realize basically, as you say, Paul, the antidote was not, wasn't an antidote. It was arthritis medication. And as a result, Angus has been doomed to a life as a snake man because of a clerical error. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that the way that this reveals itself uh, is very, very fun. I yep. think honestly, I think these last couple of minutes are hilarious and very, very silly. Like, I, I mean... I can't imagine there's many of those kind of legal firms out there that are helping people with this specific kind of malpractice suit. <laughs> it's uh, it sets the stage for a really exciting sequel. Well, there was yeah. Um, in my uh, cruising around IMDb trivia, I found out a couple mm-hmm. of interesting facts. Uh, apparently, there was originally um, a sequel in consideration, but um, you are fucking no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't know if there's a script exists. Um, I don't know how far it got, but it certainly couldn't have gotten that far. I also learned that uh, Tilda Swinton was originally cast as Sylvia Marsh. Really? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I love her, but she's already so sort of ethereal and inhuman in a way, you know? Uh, It may have been too on the nose for a, a, a hermaphroditic snake goddess. Just my thoughts. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, uh, at this point, James and Angus uh, get into the car. They go for a drive. At this point, Angus hikes his, uh, his kilt up and uh, reveals two snake bites, or I guess a single snake bite, but two holes in his knee, glares menacingly at, uh, at James. James seems to understand the urgency, and we're out. Yeah. Well, I have to say I'm glad you guys enjoyed this. When I first watched it, I was like, oh, geez, this may be too, too campy for uh, this show. Certainly not a horror film. The, I mean, I, um, I, it is fun. I would say this as a horror film, most certainly. Really? Yeah, I, I definitely mm-hmm. would. I think the horror elements are certainly more present in this than a couple of other films we've done uh, off the top of my head, things like Howard the Duck. So for me, there was never a question in my mind that this film was not appropriate, but certainly appropriate for what we do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I I really like this. Um, I thought it was like, and I, I thought for one thing, like, yeah, absolutely no reservations whatsoever about it as a selection for this. But also, um, just like an absolute curiosity of a film, so so eccentric in so many ways. And like, whether it is kind of like a. I think some of the practical stuff is really strange, but like you say, some of the editing choices are really weird. Yeah, it's it's a really really eccentric film, but I. I think everyone should check it out. I mean, I'm not going to necessarily readily recommend it to everyone, but I think that everyone should have an opinion. I, I think even if you're not really buying the tone, it's still you know entertaining and you know sprightly enough of a story uh, to uh, you know keep you engaged in the weirdness of it. You know, there's always you know some hallucination or weird ass snake person around the corner keep it going keep it moving oh yeah i mean like i think that like i'm like the momentum never lets up from basically the minute that they go to the party yes (laughs) i don't think in minute Uh, five yeah basically andy any concluding comments i know just like kind of to echo what i said at the the start i mean i saw this film when i was i think it was definitely the first ken russell film that i saw um Mm. 
I, I didn't see things like the Devils or the Rainbow until way later. Um, I don't I don't even think I'd seen Altered States maybe by this point. And uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was funny when I was younger, although I didn't quite get it. I thought it was hilarious today. Like I really, really loved it. And uh, yeah, um, for me, there was no qualms whatsoever about picking this. I am incredibly glad that we did, and I would urge people to check it out. If you are going to kind of get into watching the films of Ken Russell, most people might go to Tommy for a kind of entry-level thing, but I would say mm-hmm. Lair of the White Worm is a good place to start. Yeah, I agree. It's a lesser Ken Russell. It's not quite as challenging as some of his other stuff. Sure. But, uh, yeah, but it's it's good. It's fun and entertaining, and it'll get you to you know altered states and the devils and music lovers and all that later. Paul, before we finish up, what's been going on with you? Anything you want to talk about? Well, I have been cleaning my house. Cool. Okay. (laughs) Of course, we are uh, we are quarantined. Um, so certainly for myself and for other people, projects have been pushed to the back burner just now. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you were working on? Unfortunately, you know, it's all NDA stuff. I can't talk about Ah, it yet. Sure. Sure. Uh, but yes, I had great plans for this year. They're still on track. It's just. you know, everything's getting pushed by weeks. And as of yesterday, I think we're a couple of months away from being released from our homes. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's some stuff that I'm very excited about that's coming down the pike this year. Yeah, oh, I wish I could tell you about it. Uh, Paul, where can people keep up with you on social media? Uh, you know, the, really the only social media I do is on Instagram. Um, and I'm getting better at it, especially during quarantine. <laughs> um, uh, my uh, my handle is doghead.dog one word and uh refers to the uh, the local dog who's uh, who sticks his head out the window of a second floor home and i've only seen his head so <laughs> so it could be a man in a mask yes <laughs> <laughs> i suppose so paul this has been so much fun and uh we really appreciate the fact that you kind of stumbled across the podcast the way that you did and then kind of kept coming back so it feels a very nice full circle thing to have had you come on and discuss the film yourself i'm thrilled that you guys invited me to to join the show like i said i, I love listening to it and now i get to uh uh feel uh, like a contributor so thank you guys for putting on such a great podcast oh thank you thank so you, much Paul. that's thank lovely you. uh yeah thank you guys cool. so much Paul, really thank you for this this it. has been great it has been so I'm starting to think that if we can find people who have made films that we have covered on previous episodes, they're good value as guests because we had Adam Marcus <laughs> and yeah, now yeah. we've had Paul Etheridge and I've really enjoyed both of those conversations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think certain filmmakers might be less inclined to come on. I would be inclined to agree with you, yes. But I think if people do have a sense of humor about these kind of things, it seems like it breeds very good conversations after that. And I guess that's just about it for another one. I can't think of what else we've got to do apart from say the usual goodbyes. Yeah, exactly. Um, However, uh, this train never stops moving. We will be back on Monday with Minisode 97 and uh, some good stuff lined up there. We will, of course, be talking about what we've been watching and don't want to spoiler it, but um, uh, I've seen Veronica now. <laughs> Say no more. Say so, no more. Keep it for Monday. Yeah, we've got that. We've got that to look forward to. Uh, also, of course, we will be uh, taking a look at my continuing '90s side quest. We will be taking a look at your feedback as well. We'll be playing Mitch's pitches, and I've got to say, I mean, for date stamp purposes, we recorded this on a Monday, and the standard of pitch that we've already had for this has been absolutely knockout. You're gonna love them this week. Yeah. Everyone, bring in the rate game, and we will, of course, let you know everything that you need to know about next week's episode as well. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, there are loads of ways that you can do that. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. And you can, of course, also email longer considerations to stronglanguageviolentscenes at gmail.com. Yep, and hop onto our website, strongviolentpod.com, where you can find all the relevant information that you might ever really want about us. Um, I would also please urge you to go onto whichever podcast provider that you use to listen to us and just leave us a review uh, a, a rating if that's possible um subscribe to us follow us and do you know what if you like what we're doing and if you know people who might also like the kind of thing that we're doing then please just point them in our direction let's say as well everyone has been really sound about doing that lately uh, a lot of people have been kind of speaking up and flagging us up and recommending us to people and things and i mean 
we can see a difference when these things happen and we do really appreciate it every single time yeah we do we will be back on monday with minisode 97 now around about this time i would normally be dispensing some chud aversion advice sure, yeah yeah chud, chud but, avoidance yeah. yeah chud avoidance yeah and uh andy i suspect that you might have different plans for us this week yeah i'm gonna uh take you out on a bit of information about the legend of the dampton worm goodbye One, two, bye three, four. Went up fishing once, out fishing in the weir. He caught a fish up on his hook. He thought, look mighty queer. Now what the kind of fish it was, John Dampton couldn't tell. But he didn't like the look of it, so he threw it down a well. Ha! Now the worm got fat and growed, and growed an awful size. With great big teeth and a great big mouth and great big goggle eyes. And when at night it crawled about, all looking for some booze. If it felt dry upon the road, it milked a dozen crows. <laughs> this fearful worm would often feed on calves and lamb and sheep. And swallow little babes alive when they lay down to sleep. So John set out and caught the beast and cut it into halves. And that soon stopped it, eating babes and sheep and lambs and cats. <laughs> so now you know how all the folks on both sides of the way Last lots of sheep and lots of sleep and lived in mortal fear. So drink the help of Sir John, who kept the baits from harm. Save cows and cows by making halves of that famous Dumpton worm. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.